0: Uh, sure hope you're doing well. Uh, let's have a word of prayer. We'll get started this morning. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for the beauty of this place. Thank you for the beauty of these people. And Lord, the beauty of worship that we've all been able to uh, express uh, just now, uh, our hearts expressing fully to you and trying to receive your heart. And Lord, that's kind of what this whole thing's about this morning uh, at Alive. And that is we want to leave this place and we just want to be more like Jesus. And um, Lord, our belief is, our conviction is, what you teach us in your word is that transformation is always taking place in each one of us, and you're making us more like Jesus. And so whatever you want to do this this morning, in the next few moments, or we're just we were open to that. And um, so I encourage you that are listening to the sound of my voice, to, uh, let us all just sort of lay aside the things that are kind of have been, are in the way already this morning. Maybe it's a Details or scheduling, or maybe it's something that happened this morning, or a conversation, or maybe even something in the service that just sort of has kind of been a distraction. And I would encourage you to join me. And Lord, we just want to lay aside those things and just tell God that. Say, we want to lay aside whatever it is and want to receive what you have for us. So, Lord, for that to happen, hide me deep, deep in your empty cross that reminds us of the victory you have. It's in your name we pray amen. Uh, Man, so glad uh, to be with you. In a recent message uh, at this church, um, I shared a story of my Halloween costume when I was growing up uh, made out of paper bags. And it was incredibly traumatic for me. And your laughter, um, your guffaws, your hilarity at my expense has certainly only added to the therapy that I one day will certainly have to have. So I'm not going to tell that story again for you But because it is October, I am going to talk to you a little bit about Halloween because that's happening this month. And I would like to share an observation I have related to Halloween. When I was trick-or-treating as a child, see if you can relate to this, it seemed to be predominantly kids who got into the action. And so um, that's kind of kids ran down the streets and we were all holding pillowcases to gather our candy in because the plastic pumpkin hadn't been invented yet. And so we all had these pillowcases and also you know what else cameras with phones phones with cameras sorry haven't been invented yet and so we weren't worried about how we looked. And we're, you know, to post on Facegram or Instabook, you know, how happy our lives are. It wasn't anything like that. It was all about the haul and getting candy. That's what the whole thing was about. Now, where I grew up, we also had this little thing called UNICEF. Anybody remember UNICEF at all? So UNICEF, they would give you this little cardboard box with these two little handles on it like that. And you were supposed to go to the store or to the, the houses and ask for a quarter for UNICEF. And then you'd get these parents that are from a warm place. Who would actually put a quarter in but not give you a Tootsie roll, and so you'd end up take that UNICEF and throw it in the bushes? you know It was all about the candy you know at that point when I was growing up, but things have changed in our culture, and I guess it 's my generation that is to blame, so I 'm owning this, but today it 's not just the kids who get into Halloween i 've had a couple of people come to our door asking for candy, and I say, dude... <laughs> That beard is real. I mean, you, you drove yourself to my house. You should probably stop, you know, trick-or-treating. Your, your day's done. And not only that, but adults now dress up. And adults, we have costume parties, which is weird. I'm sorry if that's who you are. That's just a strange thing. And I know that some of you do that well. But but what I marvel at is how somebody has attached Halloween to sex appeal. And so I was looking it up on, uh, on, uh, on the Internet this week and uh, I was looking, that they have these crayons, so you can go as a crayon, or crayon, depending where you're from, but you can go as that, and, and a crayon, and, and, and the crayons, they've made them sexy, <laughs> I mean, the crayon, it's like, a, here, I'm a yellow crayon, but I'm hot, you know, that kind of thing, it's horrible, so uh, Lisa's going to go as a crayon this year, but anyway, that's kind of, the whole thing's terrible, but how about entertainments, movies, and TV shows, they all see that? I mean, America's fascination with dark things is turning into sort of this obsession, Walking Dead, you know, Saw number 14, or, you know, last year a show called Lucifer actually debuted on our televisions. Now, please, I'm not Halloween bashing. That's not this church. We aren't looking for Halloween alternatives where we all come to church and dress like Bible characters. I'll leave those kinds of decisions in the hands of your parents. But what I am saying is this, Halloween is selling really well right now. Halloween is doing really well. Darkness and evil are big money makers in Hollywood right now, and, and we're gobbling it up. And why is that? Why is it that Halloween, have you been to Lowe's? You walk into Lowe's and there are two kinds of people on the planet, normal, and then there are those of you who buy those big inflatable skulls that you put in your front yard. I mean, those are the two kinds of people on the planet. And so my suggestion is we're all a little curious about what's out there. There's a part of us that wants to know, we all want to know, is there really something, if you will, under the bed? And some of the best marketers and the most intelligent people on the planet have discovered that if they can marry scary and sexy, we're all going to buy it. And so we will. We'll all buy it. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Screwtape Letters, and it's a fictional work containing letters from senior-level demon writing to his nephew, Wormwood. And in the book, C.S. Lewis says, we have to avoid these two ditches we can fall into when it comes to evil forces. On one ditch is total disbelief. The whole thing's a joke. It's all just costumes. There's nothing spiritual. It's just a physical kind of thing. Anything else is just pure fantasy. And he said the other ditch is an unhealthy obsession with evil. The idea that there's a demon behind every rock and every sneeze and I should put something inflatable in my yard. You know, those are the two kind of sides to this whole thing. So so what I'm going to do in this series is I want to avoid both of those ditches by looking at what Scripture has to say. Because if you and I just have a conversation, I'm probably going to end up in one of those ditches. But what I'm curious about is what does Scripture have to say. See, one of the values of this church is that the Bible has authority. So that's where we're going to start as we look at this whole, whole series. <clears throat> Paul writes a letter to a church in a place called Ephesus. Ephesus is guilty or a thriving city, but they would fall in ditch number two. And what I mean by that is they believe there's a demon behind every rock. And it was selling well in their culture, just like it sells well in our culture. In fact, in their culture, witchcraft, idol worship, and all the imitations of those kinds of things were out in full force. Spiritual stuff was a major part of the economy in Ephesus, just like it is in ours. The reason all that stuff is on the shelves, the reason all that stuff is at Lowe's, the reason all that stuff is on Netflix or wherever, you and I are buying it. I mean, we're being entertained by it. It's it's something we're, we're embracing It's a major part of the economy today. It also was in Ephesus. There's this story, as a matter of fact, in the book of Acts. It's one of my favorite stories, which shows really how dark I am. But it takes place in Ephesus. It it tells the story of these seven sons of this Jewish priest named Sceva. Seven sons of Sceva. And they're going around, and they're casting out demons, but they're doing it for financial gain. So like saying, hey, I'll come cast a demon out. Sure, you just sign right here. Give me a credit card. I'll sign you, whatever. And that's what they were doing, (laughs) And sometimes they weren't having a whole lot of luck. But Paul, on the other hand, he was on the scene, and he was casting out these demons for free. Not only that, but he was better at it than the sons of Sceva. So Paul was sort of infringing on their business. And so what the sons of Sceva decided to do is, we'll start doing the same tactics that Paul uses. And so they tried to imitate what Paul was doing, and they tried to cast out demons in Jesus' name. And, And you won't believe what happened. This is in the Bible, okay? So this is Scripture. I'm not making anything up here. But the evil spirit said to them in reply, when they said, in the name of Jesus, come out, they said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who in the world are you? <laughs> That's kind of an oh-snap moment, if you will, if you're the sons of Sceva. Then the man with the evil spirit, look at this, leaped on them, mastered them, and so overpowered them that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So, so you need to write this down. If you leave a fight naked and wounded, You lost, okay? You did not win that fight, okay? You lost, and that's exactly what happened here. These guys played with something they didn't understand at all. So the people in Ephesus, they didn't have to be convinced that there were actually evil forces in the world. They didn't even have to be convinced that the evil forces were actually evil, which you and I might wrestle with in our culture. Maybe the evil forces aren't evil. Maybe they're just entertaining. But they didn't have to be convinced of the evil. They saw it all the time. And into that environment, Paul writes these words. Again, these are the words of Scripture. So this is what Bible perspective on this whole discussion is. For me and you, as we struggle, it's really not against enemies of blood and flesh. But it's actually against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, that's that's a mouthful. And it's really our first step in sort of discovering what is truly under the bed. Prior to this passage in the the letter, Paul's just dealing with practical, normal, everyday stuff. That's what he's doing. You can read it for yourself. You should read it for yourself. He's talking about the relationship between a husband and wife. He's talking about the relationship between uh, parents and children. He talks about the relationship between masters and slaves, which was part of that culture. And then right after that, he drops these words on them. It's like, hey how'd things go at little league it went like this way hey by the way our struggle is against flesh and blood not against flesh and blood paul says that the battle that we embrace as we deal with husbands and wives and parents and kids and slaves and masters or workplace environments or little league place or wherever it's it's not against each other what he's saying is this you may be a jerk and have to work on that but don't think that the jerk is the real enemy You may have problems to work through, but make no mistake who is using those problems. And that's an evil force. An evil force at work in our communities. Now, there are a couple words that you should notice here, and maybe you can go back and study these for yourselves somewhere down the road. But when you look at the Scripture's perspective of the evil world, the first word they use is the word rulers. What that means is there apparently is a hierarchy in the spiritual realm. Think military here. There are generals and captains and sergeants and all that that kind of thing in the spiritual realm. So not only is it... this; It's not just this evil force, but apparently there's a structure to this evil force. There are authorities against the authorities. Not only are there rulers, but these rulers actually have some power in our culture. We're going to learn more about that this morning. Cosmic powers of this present darkness. These powers, Satan, demons... Are actually in this world. They're in our world. Respectfully, they're in your world. They are. Look at this. Spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. I used to read that all the time, think, well, at least they're not here. You know, they're somewhere out there, you know, the heavenly are battling and all that kind of stuff, but at least they're not in central South Carolina or in Belt, and they're not they're not there. The problem is that as we translate that. It actually means the spiritual forces of evil in the air around us. That's what that word, that phrase means. So, what the writer is trying to say is the spiritual forces of evil actually taking place around us all the time. I find it interesting. Researchers say that 80% of Americans believe in God, but only 60% actually believe in the devil, which I marvel at, because if you believe in God, it probably had the same source that believes in the devil. So Paul would be one of those that believes in Satan. He's saying that fear that there's something under the bed is a legitimate fear. There really is. There really is something under the bed. In your life and my life, there really is something there. And that evil presence, according to Paul, is at work around us all the time. And you know what? You probably know that. You probably have experienced or sensed it. I don't know how it worked for you. Maybe you looked into the eyes of someone and your heart immediately felt cold, or your heart immediately felt it changed because you sensed something else. Maybe you heard a voice and knew it was evil. I don't know if you ever listened to any of the old recordings of Hitler giving his speeches, but it's a different voice. It's a dark voice. Even before you know what he he did, Uh, Lisa and I and Thomas were traveling, and and, uh, when we traveled in one particular country, we had to lay over there for several hours, and um, we didn't have a whole lot of dialogue, but when we left, you know, Lisa and I were talking about just the darkness we felt in that country, and we both acknowledged, well, and I felt that too. It was like the absence of light. It's hard to express if you haven't seen it or sensed it. But that's happening all around us. In fact, the Bible affirms there's actually more than meets the eye. And if that's true, who and what are we talking about? If it's true that there's evil actually all around us all the time, who and what are we talking about? I mean, let's, let's call this thing out. Most often, the Bible calls the personality we're speaking about Satan. And Satan is a word that means adversary, enemy, or devil. Satan is the word, though. It means adversary or uh, accuser. Satan was an angel, apparently, who rebelled against God and left heaven. That's all in the Bible. And when he left, he took a third of the angels with him. That also is in the Bible. But we don't know why this happened. Nobody knows what really happened to cause the angel to get mad and and to leave heaven. I like what C.S. Lewis suggests, and I don't know. Like I said, this is just conjecture. But he proposes that this angel found out that God was going to create you people. And it wasn't that God was going to create you people, but it's actually that he's going to create you people in his image. And the angels aren't created in God's image, just you people. And the angel couldn't stand that, and he got jealous. Now, there's some things you need to know about Satan just for reality. Satan is not all-powerful. He has power. But it is limited. It's not like Jesus. It's not, it, he's not completely all-powerful. Here's something else you need about Satan. He's not everywhere. Satan doesn't go everywhere. He's present, but his presence is actually limited. Here's another thing you need about Satan. He doesn't know everything. He doesn't. He knows a lot, but he doesn't know everything. And so the reason this is important for you to understand is this. We're not saying, well, here's God and here's God's evil counterpart, and they're equal. That's not what the Scripture says at all. Scripture says, well, here's God, and here's Satan. So you're not dealing with two equally powerful forces. There's no doubt that one is more powerful. In fact, Jesus had some strong words to say about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning and doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. That's kind of a put-down, I'm just saying. It's kind of a put-down. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what Jesus had to say about him. In Revelation chapter 12, Satan, through the whole chapter, is referred to as the accuser. The accuser. And this is kind of one of those moments, I think, we can put a little butter to bread here in my life and your life. See if this rings as something that you've experienced. You picture a courtroom, and picture God as the judge, and then you picture Satan at the prosecuting attorney's table. You are seated at the defense table, and the prosecutor stands up to make his case against you. And so he's making his accusations because that's what he does. He's the accuser, according to Revelation chapter 12. And what he's accusing you of is all true. He didn't have to make anything up for Tom's life. He had plenty to go with. Fair? And so what he's accusing you of in the courtrooms, he's accusing you of thought, he's accusing of behavior, he's accusing of attitude, he's accusing of pettiness. He's accusing you of all the things that you've done. Now pause just a minute. And let me point out a strategy that Satan currently is using in your life and in mine. You ready? He's accusing you. He is accusing you. The only way that Satan has to identify with you and with me is with our sin. That's the only connection point he has with us. So he is saying, oh, you're the adulterer. You're the liar. You're the addict. You're the pervert. You're the gossip. You don't, have any, you don't mean anything. You're the self-righteous. You're not good enough. You're imperfect. If these people only knew, you're a secret keeper. And what that means is, anytime you sense accusation, that's never God. That's always from the enemy, the accuser. Now pause just a moment and think back to your life of the last couple of weeks. You ever had one of those thoughts come flying into your brain, came from nowhere, to remind you of things you did and didn't do? That's the accuser. That's who that is. Sometimes the accusation is related to what was done to you. You're the abused, you're the forsaken, you're the used, you're the raped. And all those thoughts have the exact same force. It's the prosecutor in that courtroom. Let me tell you what Tom did. And it's true. And Jesus tells us why Satan is employing this strategy in our lives. He says, the thief, the accuser, the father lies. He's coming only to steal and kill and destroy. Remember that? This is the two deals on the table. Jesus said, I've come that you can have life and have it abundantly. Two competing agendas, two deals. Jesus, Jesus is saying this himself. So people, I marvel that believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in the devil that Jesus believed in. And you know this because you've seen this. You've seen it in your own life. You know this is true. Because if you place or trace back in my life and in your life, the places of hurt and shame producing and guilt, they're all related to this. That's the evil one at work. That's the evil one at work. What in your life comes from destruction and death? That's the accuser. What in your life comes from abundant, Or what in your life produces abundance and joy? That's Jesus. Two different personalities. And you know what I struggle with in all this? Same thing you're struggling with. The thing I struggle with all week. How can I get a room full of folks and folks watching down in the chapel and folks walking, watching the pleasant view? How can I get us all to take it seriously? Because we're having more messages telling us it's a joke. And that's what I struggle with. We joke about it. We laugh it off. But the Bible never does that about evil. In fact, look at how the Scripture paints the picture. This is from 1 Peter 5. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Why? Why should we be alert? Why should we be disciplined? Why should Christians live different kind of lives? Well, let me tell you. Like a roaring lion, your adversary... The who? Prowls around. That's creepy. Looking for someone, what, to encourage, to build into? Hey, you know anybody who's been devoured? I'll bet you do. Anybody in the room been devoured, been not on a good bit? Let me ask you a question. In the Scripture, what is the animal we are most likely associated to, most often associated with. Do you all remember? All like sheep have gone astray. Now, listen, this, is, this took me a lot of years and years of schooling. If a lion and a sheep get in a fight, guess who wins? Every. Time. I don't care if the sheep's been bulking up. I don't care if the sheep took karate classes. I don't care if the sheep is packing a weapon. It doesn't matter. The lion and the sheep, the lion is going to win every time. It'll be a bloodbath, total annih- annihilation. Guys, the lion wins. And as a society, as church people, as believers, I think we're sort of arrogantly playing around with a predator who can destroy us. And we're doing this in our lives. Even good Christian people are doing it in our lives, and we're treating it like like it's a joke, but the scripture never does that. That office flirtation thing going on, it's going to devour you. I've seen it happen, haven't you? Rekindling that old flame in Facebook or someone else, thinking it's innocent, oh, I wonder what they're doing now. That has the potential to devour you. I've seen it happen. Getting financial gain, even if it means you cut cost, that can devour you guys. I've seen it happen, and so have you. That secret Netflix show, it's devouring you. Porn addiction, that is rewiring your brain, dude. It will devour you. All you got to do is search the news for Weinstein these days, and you will get the whole series about what it means to be devoured. Substance you're using to get by, to sleep, to knock the edge off. It has the potential to devour you. Why? Because you are in the ring with a predator. And it's no joke according to Scripture. Jesus didn't mess with it. One day, he meets this demon-possessed man, and and he delivers the man because the demons obeyed Jesus, and, and we'll get to that. But when he did this, the crowds were amazed. Now, now, watch this. Because what we're getting ready to see in Scripture is why so often our efforts at faith crash and burn. So the, 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 Jesus cast the demons out, and the people around him think, well, that's pretty cool, but Jesus actually may be one of them. And he knows what they're thinking. So check out this story. This is from, the, from Luke, who was a physician who wrote a book in the Scripture called Luke. But he knew, Jesus knew what they were thinking, that is the Pharisees. And he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself becomes a desert, and house falls on house. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will this kingdom stand? Now, I know you've got to think about this, but this just makes sense. What Jesus is saying is this. If Jesus was evil, why would evil attack evil? It doesn't make any sense. It's a terrible strategy. Now watch Jesus define reality. But, Jesus is still speaking, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out the demons. Pause. Because right when you thought, I'm never going to find anything happy to say this morning. We're going to get to something happy in a moment. But what part of God is casting out demon and kicking evil's rear end? Not the arm. Not the hand. Not the pecs. I don't know if God has those. But none of that. None of that. It's just this finger. It's very intentional. If with the finger of God, boink, you know, I think that's the sound God made, boink, just the finger of God that I cast out the demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. And Jesus is saying, if I can do this with a finger, boop, then maybe there's something real taking place right here in front of you. Maybe this is the kingdom of God. And then he says this. This is the part that's defining reality. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his castle, his property is safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, He takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his plunder. The strong man in the scripture refers to to Satan. And the stronger man, that refers to Jesus. And the bottom line of what Jesus is saying so far is Jesus is stronger than Satan in, in, in Tom's interpretation. Stay with me. Here comes the verse. But when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person... It wanders through waterless regions. Part of Jewish understanding of evil was if demons weren't in people, they were wandering in the desert. It wanders through waterless regions looking for a resting place, but not finding any. It says, I know, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and live there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Now you hear that and you think, what in the world is Jesus talking about in that moment? And I think I can bring it down to a place where you and I can all sort of engage with it. Because it makes sense to me. In fact, it's actually part of my testimony. Jesus is saying, it's not enough just to have evil removed from you it's not enough to try to clean yourself up. It's not enough to try to clean your home up and make it look Christian. It's not enough to try to clean your habits up and try to make them look Christian. It's not enough to start trying to go to church and stop trying to say the words you said and start trying to listen to a Christian song every once in a while. It's not enough. Because what will happen is the evil spirit will actually go by and find seven more and come in and devour you. And you've seen this happen. You need someone stronger in you to defeat the evil one. That's what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is the only way to defeat this strong enemy, the roaring lion, is with a stronger defense, a victorious king. And that spirit can actually live in you. I think some of you are actually in this service. Some of you are watching because of this next verse. For the one who is in you is actually greater than the one who's in the world. The spirit of Jesus Christ that is in you is actually greater than the accusations that are being made against you. Tom, why are we doing this series? That's a great question. Well, every year, around March and April, I start mapping out where we're going to go for the coming year. And for church years, our years start in August and go through July. That's kind of how we do things. We go kind of with the academic, uh, I guess, calendar. And so I start mapping all this out. And I knew back in March and April and May that we would finish casting up this new vision for where life is headed. I knew God was working on something in me. And I knew that God was calling us to a different place as a church and I knew that that would actually show up on somebody's radar. Does that make sense? I didn't exactly understand. I don't even claim to understand it today. But I knew that that would be part of what we would have to engage. And, um, and once we finished casting up where the vision is alive, I suspected that Satan would actually kind of not like the impact that alive is going to make in coming days. Really. I mean, if you heard uh, kind of what was being expressed in our services today, we just talked about how we're amping up how we do discipleship. We're amping amping up how we do mission. We're amping up about an aggressive focus on reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think that didn't didn't appear on someone's radar somewhere? Of course it did. And I knew that alive wouldn't be able to fly under the radar. I knew that this week Satan would work in our lives as a church. He would turn our nose towards certain things that are going on in the church that we don't like, that would sort of cause us to keep distance. I knew that in some of us he would discourage us related to pledges that we made, thinking, you're never going to be able to do that. I knew that he would bring up things in us that are darkness, and we would feel condemnation or shame or whatever the thing. I knew that our marriages would feel it, and our kids would feel it, and our homes would feel it, and kids and parents would feel it. I knew that. I knew that Satan would be accusing and he would try to divide and he would begin sowing seeds of disunity and bitterness in our homes. I knew it. Anybody sense any of that this week? Because man, I sure did. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying I'm afraid because there's also no need to mess with what but there's no need to mess with what God defines as evil. And so as a church, and where we are, and as you being part of this church, you being here, you kind of put yourself on a radar. But there's this hope, and this is why I'm not afraid, even though I don't understand. Romans 16:20. But the God of peace will shortly crush Satan under your feet. That's good news. I don't know what crush it looks like, but I got an idea. And, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So Paul writes that Satan's going to be crushed under our feet. Y'all remember the Garden of Eden? And you remember the snake? And um, and do you remember that the snake caused Adam and Eve to sin? And then God showed up and opened a can on just about everybody. Do you remember that? (laughs) Do you remember how he addressed the snake? Remember what he said? He will crush your head and you will. Will strike his heel when you get your head crushed you're you're done that's a mortal blow when you're striking the heel we'll recover from that one you see striking the heel made me think of ducks gnawing at our ankles one duck no big deal a whole bunch of ducks man your ankle will get sore but it's probably not going to kill you What this means, friends, is this. You don't have to fear. Even though the reality of what Scripture teaches, you don't have to fear. And you know why? Because the crushing of the head has already happened through Jesus on the cross. The head's been crushed. It had the best sound. You know, whatever that, that was amazing sound. The war, the war has, been, has been won. So don't doubt that. That war has been won. Even Satan knows he's lost the war. So what's motivating him? Here you're getting ready to see the darkness of the one that's accusing you in your heart and life. Because Satan knows his head's been crushed. But his agenda now is to take as many of us as are willing to his own death and destruction. That's the agenda. He wants me and you to suffer with him. You say, Tom, that is so dark. And now you understand your predator. He's not going to win. He's just trying to drag you down with him. And if he can get me and you to stumble, the, battles, the war is over, but the battle, if he can just get a little battle win in your life and in my life and take as many with him as possible. So there's this courtroom. And the accuser has a legitimate case against you and against me. In fact, in this room, if we were to play these out on these screens, you would all cry out the same thing I would cry out. He's guilty. There's a judge who's hearing all the accusations, embarrassing as they are. And we're sitting at the defense table over there, feeling puny, head bowed, because we know that everything that's being said is actually true. But what I left out in the first scenario is we actually have a defense. It's just one word. You have a defense for all the accusations that are being levied at you, you have a defense in the courtroom. For all the things that aren't lies, they're true. And it's just one word. And his name is Jesus. So go back to the courtroom and now picture yourself sitting at that defense table. And now picture Jesus sitting beside you. And he's listening to the accusations that are being levied against you by the prosecutor. And finally, the accuser finishes. And the case is legit, airtight. And the courtroom's quiet. And Jesus rises up. And he says, all these things you've said about Tom are true. Yo, know, Jesus, this may not be the best option. Should we try to plead this out? You know, I don't know, something else. Is this your first case? I don't really know. But <laughs> All the things you've said about Tom are true. But I paid the price for each and every one of those things. I took his sin. I took her sin to the cross. They bear it no more. My client is innocent on all counts. I recommend we release them. Amen. Isn't that something? Amen. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. And Jesus fights on our behalf, so don't you be afraid. Do not be afraid. The war is won, and the Spirit of Christ can be in us and must be in us until the battles are over. Lord, these are beautiful people. And as we speak today of such a dark place, it is so important, Lord, that we all sort of own this as a group. Yes, I see that work in my life. And listen, if that's you right now, listening to the sound of my voice. Don't be alarmed. If you see some of this evil at work in your heart and life, don't be alarmed. What's happening is God is actually either reminding you that his spirit is greater, or he's calling you to receive the spirit of Jesus Christ in you. You have to decide what God is saying. Maybe for some of you, it's this affirmation point. Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not alone. I'm thankful that I serve you. Help me, Father, to see this world in light of the truth of Scripture. But for others of you, it's been accusation time. You feel low. You feel defeated. Well, you know where that's coming from now. And it's not that you just got to retrain your brain. That's part of it, but... Receive the spirit of Jesus Christ. Ask Jesus to come in and live and thrive and abide. And then you do the same to him. You abide in him. How do you do that? Well, you use your own words. You use your words. But, you know, for me, it was something like, you know, Jesus, I want you to come live in my life. I'm tired of my own path. It's not working. And the darkness in me is great. You use your own words, but you can invite Jesus to come live in you, and he will. And oftentimes when you do that, you almost sense an immediate lifting of darkness. You do. It happened for me. You should do that because you're not going to be able to fix you on your own. But Jesus can help. Jesus can fix you. Jesus can chase the darkness away. Heavenly Father, for my friends in the room that have faced a special special onslaught this week, and they felt it, they sensed it, good Christian people sense they're under attack through the power of prayer, the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. We pray your spirit would be stronger, and we would be aware the spirit that is in us is stronger than the spirit that is seeking to devour. And may that give us hope courage and strength to fight this day and another day. You are good. We love you. In your name. Amen.